Hi, this is Gillen from Rest Reflections. Welcome to episode four of At Work. As you know, At Work is all about your questions, your queries, your dilemmas related to inequalities, injustice, and oppression at work. So we've had three previous episodes, as you might know. And so for this fourth episode, I thought I'd concentrate on issues of aversive racism. This has come about for various reasons, but one in particular. I've been doing a little bit of work, well, in fact, a lot of work, trying to have conversation with various stakeholders, including white people engaged in anti-racism work and people of color, essentially trying to navigate and to survive white spaces. And so I have been, I would say, in a unusual or quite fortunate position where conversation that I've had have enlightened me to some of the conflicts, some of the tension, some of the difficulties that can arise in relation to what I call quote-unquote racial differences in the workplace. And so this is what I would like to focus on today. I did a short thread on Twitter this week and I covered or I summarized some of the issues that are going to be addressed in the podcast. And essentially in the thread, I spoke about the fears, the uh, phobias sometimes and the fantasies that white people are preoccupied with when it comes to racism. And I said in this conversation on social media that the number one fear was around being accused of racism. There is, I'd say, quite a common saying these days where people of colour say that it's almost as though being accused of racism is worse or as bad as experiencing racism. So I wanted to speak to that a little bit and the impact that that has within organization, within institution at work, but also more specifically, the impact that that has on people of color. So what I'm saying here is this, in the training that I have been providing, in the conversation that I have been having with white people, it became quite clear that the number one fear is that if they take a risk in relation to perhaps getting closer to staff or employees of color, if they attempt to have conversation around racism, if they try to tackle race inequality, if they even speak about racism at work or outside of work, the risk that they run is that they might be accused of racism. And this accusation, the thought of being therefore 
called racist is something that many white people, if not most white people, and by most white people, I mean the overwhelming majority of white people that I come across cannot be tolerated. So it is a fear that is really intolerable. I say it is a fear that is haunting. Now, what I propose is this, is that that fear of being accused of racism is essentially the fear of being racist. If one has been brought up in a society whereby racism is disowned, racism is positioned as something that exists out there, outside of the self, and racism equals being a bad person, we can expect white people will struggle with owning that racism. And so in that fear of being accused of racism, we can see that essentially we are talking about the fear of being racist. And by extension, we might say that the fear of being racist is the fear of the self, given that we do know, I'm afraid that it is impossible to exist within a racist society, a white supremacist society, and not have some racism internalized or therefore inhabiting some of our thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, and fantasies. So if we fear racism, if we fear being accused of racism, then I guess we can simply say that we fear part of ourselves and specifically the racism that we are not prepared to own. So that is the first premise. The second premise is, therefore, if we say that white people, the majority of white people, and here we are talking in employment context, struggle when it comes to owning the possibility that they might be racist, then we may want to be thinking about how that might play out, how that fear might be enacted and the implication that it might have for the culture of the organization and for cross-racial relationships and specifically with relationships with peers and with colleagues and managers who are of colour. So that takes me to the parallel conversations that I have with employees of colour, with staff of colour, and what they say again and again if they speak to me about their experience of being excluded, about their experience of being marginalised, about their experience of feeling as though they are trespassing into particular white space. A lot of the time, those difficulties, those tension, this disturbance that they might feel in particular spaces cannot be attributed to anything in particular. So they might struggle to articulate what's going on within a particular space. They might struggle to actually, therefore, attribute the disturbance to particular words or to particular events or to a more overt conflict. But nonetheless, there is a very strong embodied, visceral experience of being excluded 
um, of being isolated in those spaces. And so, of course, what I've been doing is trying to link those conversations, conversations that I've had with employees or managers of colour, to the conversation that I've had with white staff and white managers. And it is simply impossible not to link these and to see that they are related intersubjectively. And so we can therefore hypothesize that part of what might be going on in many workplaces, in many institutions, or in many spaces where staff, a student, peers of color feel that they are excluded is that they might well be picking up on the anxiety that white peers, white managers, white colleagues might have in relation to getting close to them, in relation to potentially being exposed, in relation to tackling racism, because once more of that fear of being racist. Now, that is quite important for people to bear in mind, because what I am saying essentially is that the fear of being racist in itself can lead to a form of racism that might be referred to as aversive racism. I'll return to that. But I guess I'll give you an example to try and perhaps give a bit more flesh to that idea. Often what happens within organization when it comes to evaluation, when it comes to appraisal, it's one domain that can give rise to a number of conflict within supervisors and supervisees, within uh, management and employees that they manage. And it usually goes a little bit like this, where an employee of color says that they've received an evaluation. The evaluation raises some concern. It might pick up on some issues. Those issues might or might not be legitimate issues. But nonetheless, a lot of the time, it is the first time that the employee of color hear of those particular concerns. And so they feel distressed and often they will say that the reason why they are assessed or they have been appraised in a way that is negative is because of their skin. So therefore, they are accusing managers of being racist or being discriminatory in some ways. They might not necessarily make the complaint. Often they do. Often they do. I do come across this sort of complaint fairly regularly. Or they might not make the complaint and uh, find some kind of exit strategy to leave the workplace. Or they might stay in, but their morale, their sense of commitment to their employer might be compromised. Now, for those people who do make the complaint, usually the complaints are not well received. And when I've had conversation with white managers who have been accused of racism, they are usually distressed. They are usually distraught. They are often outraged. And so when we unpick the conflict around the appraisal, managers might say something along the line of, well, actually, if you think about it very carefully, I 
could not have treated that person differently. I could not have racially discriminated against this member of staff because if anything, I was really cautious. If anything, I treated them more favorably because I feared so much that I would be accused of racism that I didn't want to have this conversation. And so, in fact, this member of of staff who has accused me of discrimination was treated more favorably in that I spared them difficult conversation. Now, here lies the core dilemma, of course, when someone say that they treated someone differently on the ground that they might make allegations or accusation of racism, or because they might want to avoid confronting such allegation, we of course have a straightforward case of race discrimination. Managers are not necessarily aware that treating someone differently in fear of a potential accusation of racism is discrimination because, but for that person being of color, but for that staff, ethnicity of race, you would not have hesitated in giving the feedback. So therefore, that person, ethnicity, race or background has influenced the way that you have treated them. And in that instance, we might say has disadvantaged them because if feedback is left so far down the line, because managers are fearful of having difficult conversation, it is clearly something that is going to disadvantage staff of color. Now, this is something that happened in so many different ways in various institutions, but clearly it is something that disadvantages staff of color. People usually don't have too much of a hard time understanding this and understanding the rationale for arguing that this is a case of race discrimination. Most managers, certainly more staff that I come across, will accept that as a given. Where we tend to struggle a bit more is with this idea that I've mentioned earlier, and I said we would return to, of aversive racism. So what I'm putting out there for people to consider, particularly managers and others with leadership role who have responsibility of the staff management, is to think about how the fear of racism might lead to more subtle changes in behavior, in white staff, in white managers. So by aversive racism, we are essentially talking about the more subtle manifestation of, we might say, discomfort, the more subtle manifestation of internal conflict that white, I would say, liberal staff might be facing because of the tension that exists within them, i.e., I do not have adherence to overt, racist, stereotypical, prejudicial views. But on the other hand, I fear contact or I fear being exposed or I fear being in contact with staff who are 
of color that make me feel uncomfortable. So this is a kind of racism that we might describe as aversive. Now, there are various ways to think about aversive racism, but the kind of racism here that I'm trying to get you to think about is the racism that leads to transformation in the way that you behave but specifically to a particular kind of transformation. And here I'm talking about avoidance. So when you might avoiding taking some action because you fear accusation of racism or because you feel uncomfortable around certain stuff, where you might, for example, avoid closeness, intimacy, a conversation with staff of color because you fear being exposed, you fear being seen, and therefore how that might impact and lead to staff of color feeling marginalized, feeling disadvantaged, in fact, being disadvantaged and being excluded. So again, at work is all about trying to get some solutions. So what is it that we can do when it comes to dealing with our own fears and our own aversive racism? What can managers do to limit the occurrence of such conflicts? So number one, we know that aversive racism exists because there is a tension that we struggle with at some level. In this particular instance, we are talking between the conscious awareness or disavowal of racism and perhaps the more unconscious fear and fantasies that might exist within uh, particular managers. And so the first way of reducing that tension is to deal straightforwardly with that kind of, I would say, ambivalence and to connect or to reclaim one's racism, which might be very difficult for many white people to hear and to even contemplate. But essentially what I'm saying to you is unless you are prepared to reclaim all of what you are, that include things that you might not necessarily like, might not necessarily find socially desirable, uh, things that you might even struggle to accept as being in existence in you, then those things are going to leak out interpersonally and they are going to influence your behavior. So number one, reclaim, be reflective around those parts of yourself, particularly around race, that you might have a hard time connecting with. Number two is to take, again, the lived experience of staff of color very seriously. Whenever a person says that they are experiencing exclusion, whenever the person says that they feel uncomfortable in particular spaces, please take that seriously. And if possible, link that to potential fear, anxieties that might be going on within the team. So very important that we take all embodied responses within particular space seriously. And finally, if I was to conclude on one idea, I would say build your capacity around racism. Simply make time to understand the various manifestations of racism, the various ways that it can poison the organizational culture, whether named or owned or not. 
So that is all for me. I hope that is a helpful introduction to aversive racism and what it might look like in the workplace. And again, if you have any question, queries, and you would like us to tackle a particular issue, please get in touch. This has been Ghislaine Kinuani from Race Reflections. Until next time, please take care.